Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, it's another day, and I am a grandfather a whole week today. It's pretty awesome, especially because I'm so young, and people look at me holding the baby, and they think, you're too young. At least that's what they're projecting through ESP, through their minds. (laughs) Today, we continue our series, Travelers. And we're going to talk about someone maybe you've heard of, Moses. Any of you heard of Moses before? Moses is one of the most critical characters in history. Someone who has shaped the way the world works, who had helped build a culture and became one of the most dynamic leaders. A lot of the people we've looked at thus far, we've talked about Abraham and Sarah, talked about Isaac, we talked about Jacob. All of these folks, and Joseph, were were folks who had been in a cross-section with God and his plan. You see, the thing about the Bible is that it's not just a book about God. It's not just a book written by men or women. God is the one who is interacting with human beings, okay? So it's not just a human book. It's not just a a divine book. It is the story of God's interaction with human beings and the revealing of his plan for the whole world. And that's dynamic. You know, if you're a person who says, well, you know, I, again, I'm not not into all that God stuff. Let me just tell you, you're going to miss out on a lot of good history and insight into the way that human beings and God interact and how God eventually displays his plan in history itself. And so it is with this guy by the name of Moses. Moses is a leader that God built. He was somebody who, as we'll find out in just a few minutes, somebody who should have been killed through the hatred and the wickedness of a particular leader in a country that all the young boys were supposed to be destroyed. And yet, who survives? A guy by the name of Moses who God uses over a 120-year period, uses him to free a people group, a nation from another nation, and lead them to the land that he had promised to Abraham and Sarah, and that is the land of Cana. As we look at it today, I, I want to say, listen, not all of us are destined to be Moseses. That's it. He's my example. I need to find a people group and lead them out of a country. No. But what we find is, is that we, we get to see how another human being interacts with God, and that's really important. Learning how to interact with God, seeing your own weaknesses. He spends the time in humility, understanding the power of God and God revealing that plan and having the courage to step out and to do what God says. And and that's something that is for all of us. That's something for everyone. 
seeing that example, feeling that example, and realizing that the time that you're living in is a time, okay, that is critical. Any of you believe that we're just in like the best, the best of times? It just, every day when you wake up, you're like, wow, it's just so good that it's today and it's 2021. A lot up in the air. A lot of big questions. And there is a void in spiritual leadership. Because people have learned to be afraid. And so it would be in Israel. But God had a different plan. And I'll assert to you today that I believe that God has a different plan for us as well. He has a plan to step out in the midst of trial. A time to step up and to follow him when he moves and lead as he moves. All right, let's start with our daily affirmation. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, And may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in... All right, great. Okay, let's talk about slavery. Look at Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon. Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all of his generations died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly and increased in number and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This was over, okay, a 430-year period. Think about our nation and how old our nation is and then put that into comparison as to how long this family was in Egypt. It started out as a pretty big family, 70, but then it grew and grew and grew. And there are estimates that it grew to at least two to three million people. It's hard to know exactly, but um, 430 years is a long time to grow your people. Now, verse 8. The new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He said, look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become too far numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. If war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and forced labor. You'll remember that when they first came to Egypt, that Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen, a very plentiful land. But times and administrations change. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter. The word here for bitter can just mean the, the word bitter and harsh and broken down and sad. But it also can mean someone who is built up and strengthened by the oppression. You know, it's, it's one thing to break a person's spirit. It's another thing for that person to thrive under that and get stronger. So they, they sent them into hard labor with brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The Pharaoh during this time was probably Tutmos the first. They grew in Egypt. But they grew into slavery. They started out with favor, but eventually they became slaves. I don't know what it is, but it seems that from the earliest forms of humanity, slavery has always been a choice for the human beings. Slavery, and and you can go throughout all cultures, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a culture that at some point didn't have slavery as a practice. In Egypt, this particular reason is that they had become so numerous and yet they hadn't elevated to a point in the the country that they maintained some political power and military might. They were still controlled. However, there were so many that they presented a possible threat, okay, a possible threat that eventually if the armies came against them, their, their, their neighbors and so forth, these Israelites could join in and leave the country. Here's the other part of it. The other part is that usually, always, slavery somewhere along the line is connected to uh, not only politics but finances, economics. Uh, if we had to pay all of these people to get this work done, it wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to afford it. It's cost prohibitive. And so we need them, okay, in order for our economy to flourish. It was that way in the beginning, beginning of this country as well. Many detested slavery, but it was sort of a, a necessary evil if we're going to have these crops and so forth. In other countries are doing it, the country we came from, and so it's right. But yet there was a seed that knew uh, we have to fight against this. This is wrong. In Egypt, <clears throat> the Egyptians began to hate them. And so it is oftentimes with people within a society that are oppressed Rather than being sympathetic toward them, they learn to hate them and to despise them. Because whenever you are doing something bad to another person, and it continues and continues, it's not like your heart becomes soft toward that person. It seems that your heart is hardened toward that person, and this is what happens. What happens is you begin to despise that person. That is the picture of an abuser and a victim. They were a people group growing up, but there was something hardy within them that they were able to stand up and say, uh, 
You're going to kind of keep us down, but we're going to work even harder. We're going to do everything that we can. And their resolve was not broken. Now, were they ready for a revolution? No. Something else had to take place more drastic. And so it did. Working them hard, setting them, breaking them down, and I'm sure there were many premature deaths, wasn't enough. Pharaoh said, look, all of you midwives out there that, that, that work and, and take care of the Israelite people, all of you out there, when, when it comes time for a baby, and when you're sitting there and, and you're delivering the baby, and you look down, and if you see that it's a boy, kill it. Well, I mean, these are medical workers. They're people who deliver life into the world and try to save life, the life of the child and the life of the mother. <clears throat> they couldn't do that. So what they did is nothing. When Pharaoh brought them back in and he said, listen, uh, <clears throat> these kids aren't dying enough. What's going on? And they said, well, the Hebrew women are so hardy and they're of good, solid stock that they have the babies before we get there so we can't kill them. Okay? So some have said, well, they did a bad thing for lying. I don't think you have any problem lying to somebody who's trying to kill you. You know? Someone who's trying to destroy everything that you are. By the way, it isn't technically that they lied. They just didn't tell them that they didn't go and let the mothers you know, have the babies with them. They let them have them on their own. But here's the pogrom. Pogrom is a, an edict and a sanctioned, <clears throat> organized massacre of a people group. It's happened throughout world history. It happened throughout Europe uh, time and time again. But here, it was a full-on pogrom from Pharaoh, which basically said this. Everybody in Egypt, if you find a, an Israelite boy, throw him into the river and drown him. Can you imagine the shock and the terror that went through the community? I looked at the pictures of my little <clears throat> grandbaby, and he's all swaddled up. Kind of, you know, cute and pretty. How could you ever throw that little boy into the water to drown him? So they were at an impasse. They weren't barbarians. They could not follow what they were told. And that's this, the kind of crisis that an event that happens within a country that causes people to say, no more. We can't do that anymore. You see, <clears throat> the enemy, enemy of people being other human beings, uh, supernatural, um, evil supernaturalism, whatever it may be, wants to strike fear in people. We saw that all the way through, even in our own country, with the Jim Crow laws, you drink over here, you go to this bathroom, you have your own stores if you're black. And if you get way out of hand, we're going to hang you publicly 
or do something terrible to you so that it strikes fear into everybody. But people can only endure under that type of thing for so long. And so it was that Pharaoh gave his decree and it was on. It was on with God and it was on with the people. Enter a guy by the name of Moses. Moses, okay, because his parents didn't want him to die, and because they were trying to be faithful, you can always find a way to sort of skirt around a law. So they, they, they made a basket, and they put him in the water, and they sent him down the way. They sent his sister to kind of watch along, Miriam. But at least they were obeying They put it in the water, but they didn't want him to die. Little bitty boat. And I think of that when I think of the little cradles that you put a child in, sending a child off into that. That was Moses. Moses was thrown into the river, but Moses was in there by God's design and God's plan. That little baby didn't know who he would become. Many today don't know who they will become and the plans that God has for them, plans for good, plans for liberation, plans for rescue. You see, what happened is he floated down to a portion of the river where Pharaoh's daughter and her friends were bathing. Oh, look at, oh, look at you know, send a baby into a crowd of women. I know that sounds sexist, but guys would look at it and go, ooh, just let it go. <laughs> did you smell that? Yeah, I did. Just let it go. Is it coming back? No, I don't think so. We're safe. Uh, but you throw it into a group of gals, and, and for the most part, ladies, they, they fall in love with them. It's not like one of them jumped on the basket, pulled him out, and drowned him. They just said, let's take him. And so she takes him back to her house, to the very house of Pharaoh, the guy who made the decree to kill him. He's got one in his house. So he was raised in Pharaoh's house. And he lived a life as a prince in Egypt. It isn't always this way, but God will take certain people at times and train them in very unique ways. Paul was this way. Paul was a very well-educated man of the world who could easily flow throughout various cultures and society. This young man, had he been just a Hebrew, he may not have ever got the opportunity to speak to Pharaoh himself. But he was trained up in the culture, everything, language, and he was a prince. He was a prince. And so his stepmom, Pharaoh's daughter, sent for Miriam, his sister, and she came and took care of him. But he grew up in that environment. You see, that would seem sort of insignificant on most parts. But when it comes to God himself 
and to his plans in this world, those little details are not insignificant. Because God was letting everyone know as the story eventually would be told, and the story will be told, that it was God's plan from the very beginning. So, here's what happens. He obviously is told about his heritage. Maybe he looked different than everybody else because both of his parents were Israelites, were given their names over in the, in the book of Numbers. He was someone that had to come to, to the truth about who he was and what he, where he came from. And so there was a, a, a portion of him that felt bad for the Israelites because they were being oppressed and he was living in Pharaoh's palace. And like most normal people, he would think, I've been brought into this position so that I can help my people, right? I'm in this position. I have influence. You know, I, I'm, the, I'm the, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter and I can do something about that. And so in a sense, there was a part of him uh, that we would call a justice warrior. And I'm not trying to make an equivalency of, of folks who go by that name today. But, I, but it's exactly what he was. Look with me at verse 11 in chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He was a warrior. He loved his people. The act of this Egyptian was so despicable that it inflamed him, enraged him, and what he felt as righteous indignation, he stepped out and he killed him. And I don't know what he thought by that, but it doesn't seem that it was just an a, uh, act of passion. It seems like this had been something that had been building in, up in him for a long time, and he made it a definitive choice into what people he would be with. The only problem here is, is that his plan started out with violence. And let me just tell you, friends, if your plan begins with violence, it's probably not God's plan. You see, he had his plan, he had his ideas, he had his mode of operation, but God, which he didn't know at the time, had something else going on. God had a much greater plan than his own. So, here's what happens. Verse 13. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked uh, the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow brother? I love it. You know, now he's a part of the team. He's a part of the group. I can go speak to people. Don't mistreat your brother, friend. And, of course... Here's what happened. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? How many times have you said this growing up as a kid? One brother or sister says something to you and you go, you're not the boss of me. Or how many times do we use the, the phrase, who are you 
Who are you? That's the problem with human beings is when we act all sanctimonious and we've got it all worked out and we're going to take care of everybody, we're going to set everything straight, someone comes along and goes, hey, weren't you the person that killed that guy the other day and you're telling us to get along? I mean, really? It's one of those really moments. He, he said, you're going to be judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh, Moses, your mode of operation, a little off. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Oh, yeah. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. This is the end of the first 40 years of Moses' life. He was an adult. He was privileged. He was powerful. And yet he was fully unaware of what God had planned for him. Many of you have come in today, maybe some of you watching are saying, you know, I've lived my whole life. You may be an adult and you've lived without the consciousness of God's plan in this world. And I tell you, my friends, that is something you do not want to perpetuate. Because it's not just some weird religious belief, but it seems to be proven out historically that God continues to interact with humanity here on this planet for his purposes and to miss out on that is to miss out on real change, change that comes with real justice, real equity, and to do it on your own by means of violence, by means of intimidation, by means of oppression. We were oppressed by the Egyptians. Now I will oppress you. Didn't work. So, he was trained, he rose up, but in his own ability, he failed. You ever done that? Got a great idea, going to do something good, this is going to help people, and you start out and all of a sudden, bupkis. What happened? Why didn't it work? I had the right heart, I had the right idea, I have the right position. It didn't work. So what happened? He goes to Midian out in the desert, and he'll spend the next 40 years out there being humbled. 40 years of being humbled and yet trained by God. Now, we're told in the Pentateuch that there was no person more humble than Moses. Since he wrote it, he said that about himself. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But he's someone that was handpicked by God, and God was going to use him in an incredible, incredible way. So he sees some gals, and some people are giving him trouble, and he protects them. They go back and tell their dad. He gets invited. The guy's name is Jethro. and Not Bodine, but he um, gets invited back. The guy's so appreciative, he gives him... Uh, one of his daughters as a wife, 
And he spends his time as a herdsman. He spends his time as a herdsman out in the field. Imagine the way that he was processing all of this. Okay, on the top end, I'm thankful that I still have my life. That my life was spared. However, my great plan is completely over with. Because I had status. That was a part of the plan. That was some resources that I had. I had influence. And yet, in one day, I killed a guy and (laughs) my adopted father or grandfather is trying to kill me. And now I'm out here in the wilderness with Jethro, not Ellie Mae, that wasn't his wife. And I'm herding sheep. How will that ever take place? But then something happens. God shows up and reveals himself to you. And I want to let you guys know something. If you've never had a real experience with God, get ready. Because God will show up in your mundane desert. God will show up at your cubicle at work. God will catch you when you're out working on the car or shopping or whatever else you're doing, purchasing more masks. I like preaching just because I don't have to wear a mask while I'm preaching. We looked at the sermons for the last three or four weeks, and I've gone 10 minutes over every time, and in my mind, I'm like, I know. It's just a mask. I don't want to put it on. How can I talk more, say more? Giddy up. All right, now. <clears throat> Moses heads out, and he sees this bush. What's going on? And the bush is a flame. But it's not burning up. It's not discoloring. It's not being used by, it's not using the tree or the bush for fuel. It's burning. And so it catches his attention. He goes over to it. And then he hears this voice. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. I don't know if you're these kind of people, but there are people, and I'm sure that some of you are here watching, and when you go over for dinner, they say, oh, just take your shoes off right here by the door. And I'm like, but that, we'll have to look at everybody's ugly toes. I mean, really, do you want that going on in your house? But we don't want to get it dirty. In the same essence, God was saying to Moses, Moses, this is something separate, and this is holy ground, because I am holy. I've made this ground holy, and I want you to take off your sandals. And so what does he do? He he tells him what he calls him to do, right? I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to lead your people out of Egypt. And I'm sure Moses was completely disoriented. But he couldn't deny the experience he had. Here's a point. 
If you have a real encounter with the living God, it is nearly impossible to, even over time, discount the experience because it is so unique and so foreign to everyday life, everyday life. A real encounter with the living God will set something in your heart that is hard for you to deny. And that was God's plan in his life. And so it is with the rest of us. Here's what happens. He says, all right, I want you to go do what I told you to do. Because the Israelites, their cries and their groanings have made it up to me. And I'm going to deliver them. I am going to deliver them. You thought you were going to deliver them. I, the God, will deliver them. But we have no indication that Moses knew anything about Yahweh. Other than the Lord had appeared to the patriarchs. I'm sure he had heard the stories and how... Joseph had come into Egypt and how many people were saved. But there was never that full-on personal contact. And in this contact, we are exposed to God and his name. God and his name. Because he says, who am I? Am I going to go and say, anybody going to listen to me? If they remember that I killed somebody, they'll remember that I was a murderer. By, by the way, everybody else is probably dead by now or aged and in no position of power. They're going to listen to me? And then he asked him, who will I say has sent me? Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And God said, I'll be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He would come back to Horeb, place of Sinai. God said to Moses, oh, excuse me a moment, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I don't know your name. I don't know your name. What does he say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He tells who he is by their own lineage. I am the God who called you out. Further, 
be to reveal that I am the God, the creator God. I made everything. If you're going to associate me with a people group, you will associate me with me with the Israelites who were named after Jacob. However, if you want to know who I am, I'll tell you, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am who I will be. I have existed. I will exist. The, 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 the construction of this word, it is a part of the Hebrew word for to be. Yod, hey, vav, hey. Four letter. The smart guys in the world call it a tetragrammaton. Smart guys, smart gals, a tetragrammaton, a four-lettered word. And we transliterate it as Y-H-W-H. You want to know who's, who sent you? I'm preexistent. I'm more powerful. I do not have a predecessor. I was not made. I do not conform to anything other than who I am and what I will be. My friends, if your God answers to you, your God is weak. Now, your God may answer you. Your God may our God may explain something to us. But if it's something that's been contrived in your own mind or within a culture, and it's just nice and cute, and people feel comfortable calling him the man upstairs and, you know, all the other junk, your God is way too weak if you can trip him up in any way. You see, this is why I'm a believer. Because this story is so compelling. It's so overwhelming. It's so powerful. I want to follow this God. I don't want some dumb statue with a bunch of flowers on it and fruit who needs to go on a diet more than I do. Anyway, that's another story. I want the one who says, I am. I'm the biggest, the baddest. I made everything. I'm the one. And so if anybody asks you who sent you, I did. Who are you? I'm the one. Exclusive. You say, well, that's not really fair. We're not playing Red Rover here. You cheated at cards. That's not... Grow up. This is God revealing himself to a human being who didn't just turn out to be a quack. Oh, Moses, what a quack that guy was. People had it so good in slavery, let them out in the wilderness, got them their whole land. What a quack. No. There's a reason that this person has clout in the world. And I want to follow that God. And when he says, I am, you just need to accept me for who I am. He would be known as the name Hashem, Adonai, the Lord. 
Because his name was so sacred, nobody would pronounce it. It was known as the ineffable name, so they would call it the name. Because here's what would happen. You let some other group of people hear about your God and your, the name of your God, they'll start cursing it and sacrificing against it. And people will profane the name of your God. And so they kept it hidden. Scribes would come along and they were going to write yod hey yod hey vav hey. They would stop, cleanse themselves, prepare themselves and write it down. But it's usually translated in our scriptures as Lord. But it is the name of God. I am. You know what that means to me? When I hear that, I hear you're not. You're not. I am. So what do you do? Do you play the fool and fight against that God who can keep a tree burning and nothing's happening to it? Who tells you, I have heard my people and I'm going to send you in. We're going to get this done. I'm going to build a nation. God, to me, is the ultimate pursuit in this life. The ultimate pursuit. He introduced himself to humanity. He calls us in to follow him, to be a part of his plan. And, and, and if we just have enough humility, like Moses, we can hear him. We can be introduced to him and we can find that he has plans for our lives that are greater than. Moses wanted to liberate his people. Good job, Moses. That's the right thing to think. To, to liberate oppressed people is noble. And from this context, it is godlike. But had he never met God, he would have just stayed out in the dirt. But God introduced himself, and God turned things upside down. I'm telling you, you want things to change this world. You have plans for good for your nation. You have plans for good for the people in your neighborhood, for in your town, in your community, your estate. All of us are thinking about what is best. Should we, we wear masks all the time, not put them on, put them on? Uh, what about businesses? Well, all of our businesses are tanking. Our kids can't go to school. There's a level of frustration. And so now probably more than ever, we are concerned about the way our country is being run and what's happening to its people. And I'm not blaming anybody. History repeats itself and it repeats itself and this is just another cycle of history. But if you want to do it your way, you're going to pick fights with people and you're going to make a mess of it. Period. Everybody really... Uh, Again, I'm not speaking about any political side here. I go my way, way out of my way to stay out of that 
because I don't want the church to divide because of something like that. You know that. But is anybody in the country proud of what happened at the the Capitol? We want freedom. We're here to liberate. And we made an absolute mess. And everybody involved is embarrassed as you can't believe. People have overthrown governments by force. They've had political uh, coups. They've enslaved humanity. Human beings are artists at oppression and war. But I think if God was going to help any group of people around the world, I'm just speaking about our country because we live it every day. It has application in our daily lives, right? But we need to find out what God's plan is and how he desires to fix things and to make things right. And then we follow him and lead others to follow him as well. And I'll tell you, I'll take his plan over my own anytime. I'll take his plan anytime because his is best because he is I am. And I will do what I will do. I will be who I will be. And if you have any good sense, you'll follow and be with me. If that strikes at your pride, why would God do that to me? Why do I need to? Then you got issues, man, gal. Got issues. Used to say you used to have as many issues as Time magazine, but nobody reads magazines anymore. It's time to soul search. It's time to look around at the bushes to see what's burning. It's time to pay attention and listen for the voice of God. Because God is the one who will lead his people out of slavery into a land of promise that he has designed. And the good thing for us, and we'll wrap this up, the good thing for us is that we are not a group of people that are far from God. He says to every tribe, every tongue, every nation in the world. No black, white, chartreuse, whatever country, language, background, he says, come to me. Come to me and be in my plan. And in that case, People who come to him learn how to lead other people to him. And that is the beginning of an exodus. Thank you, Father, for this morning.
Thank you that we're about to take this cup, and it's so, such a cherished meal for us, such a powerful meal, where just like the Israelites were going to be redeemed out of, out of, out of Egypt, you came along, Jesus, to deliver any human being out of the bondage of sin into a life with you, to follow your plan, to be a part of your creation, your work, your creativity, your power, your authority in this place. As we think about the cup, Lord, we ask for forgiveness of our sins, sins of complacency, out and out sin. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the things that you've told us to do and we didn't do. Ah, Lord, ah, Lord. Blessed be your holy and precious name. May your name be exalted in all the earth and everywhere. And may liberation, Lord, begin with us. In Jesus' name. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.